Coming up on Across the Chain, the great Vinny Lingham, co-founder of many Web3 companies and seed investor in Solana and Filecoin, joins us. Plus, make or die scales back to just 23% USDC backing. Is it really just still wrapped USDC? And the EU approves a new crypto regulatory framework. Well, Elizabeth Warren says crypto is used for fentanyl. All this and more coming up on Across the Chains. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Vinny, welcome. Hey, Rob, good to be here. Thank you. Thank, thank you for doing our little show. We, we very much appreciate it. So. No, always always happy to chat. And hello, Suvlaki. Hello. I made uh, happy to make the team this week. <laughs> well, we're very happy to, to have you, as always, because you are an expert on many topics, surprisingly. You always surprise <laughs> me with your, your wealth of knowledge, I have to say. It is impressive. So, and then I find little videos that you've done where you've, you know, gone in depth on a topic that I've sort of skirted over the, the surface of, and it turns out you, you know, you dove down to the Marianas trench, uh, digging around in whatever the thing is. So pretty impressive. So we're glad to have you and we're lucky to have you. Thank you. Thank you. So Vinny, let's start with you. Um, so, you know, so you're, you're on the show with Jason Calacanis on this week in startups, uh, actually every Friday, I think. Um, yep. and, uh, you know, we're, we're old friends as you know. Um, and I, I watched an episode of twist recently and I was very struck by, you seem kind of bored with crypto and very, um, excited about AI. And you mentioned that like not enough people were using it. Like your grandmother was using crypto. So it just sort of, it wasn't like you sort of lost the fire in your belly for crypto. Is that true or, or I would say, I would say it's, it's reasonably true. I think I'm still excited about some things in crypto, just not everything crypto. Um, you know, I, I think the, the cognitive overhead of dealing with all these different coins is going to be too much for the average person out there. I don't think crypto goes mainstream uh, in, in a broad sense. I think you're going to find uh, some cryptos will do maybe get some get somewhere, but I don't think we get to a world where everyone can name 20 cryptos uh, and, 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 you know, and, and trade them and use them. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, I've got lots of like issues with it. I kind of stepped out of crypto about two years ago when I started Waitrum uh, after Civic. Um, and a lot of it just being in the space for you know a decade now, you get kind of jaded uh, from everything I've seen mm -hmm. in crypto. And uh, you know, with Waitrum, it was a chance for something you know that everybody can use. It's, it's a video conferencing platform. Uh, we're using AI to make it really, really slick and cool. Um, and I just felt, you know, uh, as much as I'm very heavily invested in crypto and I've got tons of investments and, you know, uh, co-founded some companies, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in, I just day to day as a, as a builder, I don't want to build more crypto products. I want to build more non-crypto products. Cause I just think there's more, there's more sort of open space that you can play in that, um, you know, I mean, the, the regulators and what's going on in crypto worldwide is makes crypto very, just, it's very tough to operate. You're, you're focusing on the wrong stuff all the time. And I just want to focus on like user satisfaction and making sure I build great products for users. Yeah, it's kind of depressing to just get punched in the head by the government, you know, every other month and one, one thing or another. I have to admit that's, I feel that as well. So do you, I mean, it's, it's sort of when we, when we all got into the internet, uh, we all knew that the internet was the the way of tomorrow, 
and it was really fun and you felt like you were working on the future but the internet didn't really have an enemy right it didn't have like you know somebody else it wasn't like you were just it was just you versus the market and you versus um mm -hmm. you know getting adoption from early consumers uh without somebody sort of shooting you in the head uh you know from behind every every five minutes and it does feel like that way in crypto crypto has a big enemy so that's that's disillusioning i have to say do you think so where do you think we are so do you think we're sort of on pause in crypto, sort of like the dot-com crash and it'll resurge at some point? Or do you think it's, this is, you know, sort of dying slowly? I don't think it's dying. I just think it's, it's moving forwards very slowly right now. Um, we're in like, this is the, typically how the mood is when you're in a bear market cycle. So we're yeah. in the bear market, everyone's kind of down in crypto. The, there's been a lot of wealth destruction that's happened. Um, me, between FTX and, um, Celsius and Luna and, and Terra and 3AC last year, we're still suffering, you know, and, and we still have the macro, the macro burden sitting over. Um, you know, I, I, I think that um, we might be in this bear market cycle for another year, um, you know, at least six more months uh, where, you know, what really, what really, sort of changes the game, I think, is probably the Bitcoin having because we always see that that sort of gets people, you know, it just changes the, the dynamics of how much money is going into Bitcoin and how much selling pressure is coming out of the miners, etc. So th th that can be a catalyst, whether it is or not, also depends on how governments are treating crypto and fiat on-ramps and off-ramps, etc. So, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's good to be cautiously optimistic about crypto. I think you want to be, um, you know, if you have high conviction for certain projects, maybe load up some bags of those. But, you know, it's, it's for me, I have enough crypto exposure that I think playing outside the crypto realm is uh, just more, you know, fundamentally interesting because I can get to, I can build, I can build a product that can get to 100 million users in, in a couple of years, three years, five years. In crypto, it's very hard to do to get that level of scale. So I think that it's just playing in a you know playing non crypto is a bigger bigger pond right now, um, and you know we've, we we you know, we can chat about all the other things you know the issues around scaling and different L twos and L ones and we can debate all that stuff. I, I think it just takes time for the stuff to play out, and you know I'm I'm not getting any younger, so <laughs> you yeah, know, and the, I, crypto might just belong to the twenty year olds coming into the mix right now. That's it. Hmm. So speaking of the twenty year olds, what do you think of uh, BRC twenties? and ordinals and all the new excitement, uh, which has started up on Bitcoin in the last two months or so. I, I think this could actually be um, very dangerous for Bitcoin. So, um, you know, the, the the volume of ordinals that we're seeing, the transaction volume, we're seeing the, the, the fees skyrocketing. It's making the Bitcoin network, I think, reasonably unusable for smaller transactions. And so, it's, you know, and it's pushing up the... The cost of transactions and the bitcoin's got a, you know bitcoin's got a, a very small block size so it can only handle so many transactions we've had this debate in 2017. i, I think in the next uh the next bull run it could cause a lot of um angst hassles and problems uh with bitcoin but yeah in the current bear market i don't think it matters as much um but yeah. it is it, it, it is it is uh you know it's moving us away from Bitcoin as a store of value to now being a utility, but the block size, like the argument for a small block size was that Bitcoin is a store of value. So you need to move heavy transactions, like, you know, like large amounts and 
they don't want you, you know, the developers and the community didn't want to use Bitcoin for, for coffee. Um, sure, but now Ordinals is costing 10 bucks a transaction. And so, uh, if not more, um, I, I'm, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure how Bitcoin scales um, in this, in this, in sort of the Ordinals world, especially if Bitcoin goes on a run to 100,000, what happens to the transaction fees for everyone else trying to use the network? Um, and now you're crowding out people who want to use the network for financial transactions. You're crowding them out with non-financial transactions. And so it, to me, this, this stuff doesn't, doesn't add up. But again, I'm like sitting on the back end going, I've been in this space for way too long. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's always a surprising space, right? So, I mean, like, uh, you know, even, even two and a half months ago, I would have thought I would have never seen this chart anytime in my entire life where Bitcoin is the number two blockchain by NFT sales volume ahead of even Solana and Polygon. Like that, that is insane. Like, like that just yeah. blew me away. Right. So I, you know, I kind of, I, I got to be honest with you. I kind of like the BRC 20 stuff. Um, I, I like the idea. The reason why I like it is because a it's on, it's on the God chain. It's on the world's most permanent uh, record ever. And so that that is very that that in itself is incredibly powerful. Um, it is where most of the wealth is like 60 percent of the crypto wealth is in Bitcoin. And now that Bitcoin can be put to use for other things, whereas before it was just a store of value and it was sort of locked up. Um, and I like the simplicity of the BRC 20s. Um, you know, just a single line of JSON defines them, which reminds me of HTML 1.0. Right. And how that was incredibly simple. And one of the reasons why it took off, it was built on top of the internet. And so you needed, you know, you needed both things that the internet was incredibly complex, but HTML 1.0 was incredibly simple. And I kind of feel like BRC 20s are that again, built on top of something very complex, Bitcoin. Um, but I hear what you're saying about the the sort of clogging of the transactions. That's, well, it, it does, it's also got limitations, right? So one of the other problems you have with Bitcoin is you can't build real utility-based NFTs uh, on Bitcoin because the transaction fees. That, so I'll, I'll use an example. We're building, um, I, I co-founded a, a platform, an NFT gaming platform called uh, Explorers. So you go to explorers.digital um, and we're doing a mint in a couple of days time. And it's all built on Solana because we're able to issue, you know, these, uh, the, the, these NFTs on Solana and then you can play the game almost immediately within a week. So we have a game that comes out and it would be too impossible, impossible for players to pay 10 bucks a transaction in the game every time they just, you know, stake a character or they go on a mission or whatever else. So you, you can't, so you can't build that sort of utility on Bitcoin because it would make the use of those NFTs um, just cost prohibitive. You couldn't have that many people using it. Um, whereas on something like Solana, for example, it's a fraction of a cent per transaction and you can use your NFTs in many, many different ways. So, you know, Bitcoin NFTs are collectibles at this point, right? That's the, that's what it is. It's, it's not really yeah. for utility. Yeah, there is no utility whatsoever. All the, all the BRC twenties are meme coins. Uh, there is no DeFi to speak of, uh, there is, and the NFTs are simply collectible. So you're absolutely right. It's incredibly primitive in that sense. There are we are seeing uh, activity with the L2s. So we have things like Stacks. We have things like the Libre chain. Um, to a certain extent, internet computers doing some interesting things. Um, and so it's it's possible that these things may offload into Bitcoin layer twos. Um, and you know that that could be where the bulk of the transactions and utility actually end up happening. 
Whereas, but it's secured by the Bitcoin network. It's on the God chain. So, you know, it's definitely yours forever. So, can I ask you a question? Go ahead, Subhagi. Based on what you said now in terms of, you know, um, only meme coins, NFTs without utilities, do you think that perhaps cements Bitcoin network as a store of value as opposed to giving it utility? Because these, if we look into the future 10 years, 10 years from now, right? And if we think about that networks like Solana, Ethereum, or any other L1 or L2 scale and grow and the technology explodes, these NFTs, these meme coins, or whatever else is going on on the Bitcoin network, would they not be viewed as antiques? The same way, like you see in movies, where they look back like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when everything's changed, and you have like this OG, like Mark, you mentioned originally about the the, the original lines of code for HTML. So, does this not potentially feed into that future narrative of it being a store of value? Yeah, I, I think that that it's very much a um, that that's like that was my takeaway from 2017's sort of civil war on, on on Bitcoin and everything else. Like we had two sides, and you had to pick one. You had to pick with the scaling NFT stuff, which moved to Ethereum and now Solana and everything else, and or you had to go with store of value. Uh, and and the scaling part included peer to peer, you know, cash and whatever else. Then we went to no 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 it's a store of value and everything else will be built on layer two like uh, lightning etc and then that's that's the that, that's what won out but now we're we're trying to do all the stuff which we pushed over to Ethereum and Solana and all the others on layer one Bitcoin I, you can't you can't have your cake and eat it so, so to speak so I, I just don't think it's gonna work I think it's gonna something's gonna break but it might take a while and you can't have a store of value where the where the network is so clogged up that you can't push your money around or move your money around all the fees like you know we saw bitcoin transaction and fees spike to a thousand bucks i think a transaction back in 2017 um with what's going on in ordinals it keeps growing and we go through another bull run you could be looking at multiple thousands of dollar fees per transaction and the network gets clogged and people you know then you have a situation where these i don't know the the network just clogs up for for weeks at a time, or days and weeks at a time. Crypto kitties, but bigger, yeah, yeah. Worse. So I, 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 again, I'm I'm kind of like, let's hope we don't get there, but we do. We're gonna have we're gonna have some problems. So you are squarely in the laser eye camp in the fight between the wizard hats and the laser eyes. It sounds like. No, I'm just I'm just basically sitting on the sidelines, and I'm I'm an industry observer at this point. <laughs> I, I again, I'm focusing. You're like, on, I'm out. I'm, I don't have a fight. I'm, I'm focusing on AI. I mean, I had my say. Um, it's interesting to see how people, you know, like can be religious about a certain thing, but then make exceptions if, if, you know, they, they, you know, like ordinals is very much, um, I would say contrary to the arguments we were having in 2017 with maxis on Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin's a store of value. It's for, we don't, we want to create a fee market. We want to make sure that there's transaction fees and people are moving money around, that's the fees that are getting paid. Now it's like, oh, well, we can just stuff it in ordinals. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, the one good thing to come out of all this, I think for the miners is they're making roughly double the money uh, that they were making because of the ordinals uh, activity. There's another, there's an extra five to seven Bitcoin in addition to the 6.25 they're making. Yeah, so, so, so exactly. So that, now it becomes a money grab, um, I think for the miners. Just keep in mind, okay, I'm not saying that 
this wasn't possible in Bitcoin. It was always meant to be built in Bitcoin. Bitcoin had script. It had a whole bunch of things built in that was taken out. So the problem is that that you can't have a world where the Bitcoin block size is, you know, one or two megabytes with SegWit. And, um, you know, uh, like you, you, but you want to have it scaling to the levels of Ethereum or Solana. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about AI because I know that's that's where your uh, that's where your big interest is these days, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. So, I, 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 you know, like everyone, I've been fascinated with AI also and playing around with it. Um, it. What strikes me about it is that it seems like, in some ways, it's the opposite of crypto. In that, whereas crypto favors the edge, um, AI, I think, favors centralized actors like Google, et cetera, because that's where the training data is, right? So. If you're trying to do an AI startup, I mean, I, I think there's probably little ones you can do, but the big winners are all centralized and big, and we've already heard their names. Is that I'm true? Not, or I'm, do you I'm, completely not, no, I'm not so sure that's true. A lot of these models you can trade on your iPad and your or on your on your on your MacBook. Um, there's lots of open source models out there. You know, Google put a famously put a note out like a month ago. One of the guys at Google put a note out about how Google's losing its edge against open source models and llamas, and you know. I, I, I have a different take on this. I think that, that AI is going to help us build better products. And so, you know, every product you see today will be, there'll be an AI enabled version of that product within five years or three years. Um, and if it's not, then if, if the company that the incumbent doesn't do it, the, the disruptors will. So I'm building AI for video conferencing. So if Zoom doesn't catch up quickly and start adding it in there. They're going to lose market share to us. People want to use an AI-based video conferencing platform. And what, what is what? Why do I want to use an AI-based video? I don't understand. Like this seems fine. Why do I need AI in this? Oh, okay. So, so imagine you know we're having a conversation in Waitroom. Uh, there's an AI agent that's listening to the conversation, summarizing, creating tasks, creating calendar invites, uh, follow-ups, to-dos, action items, keeping memory of that. The next time we have a meeting next week, it knows what was on there. So you have like a smart agenda and this makes it much more efficient. And so uh, also being able to look up in the company, you know, you can ask a question you can say, hey, I, w I wonder who's in charge of uh, logistics in the company and it'll just pick it up and says it'll look into the company notion docs or the hr docs and tell you that you, you know if you're the right level you can ask even more detailed questions if you're the ceo you could probably say uh let's figure out how much you know mark's getting paid and it would just pull it out of the hr system so the moment you can tie in all the company's data repositories into conversations and based upon you know everyone obviously has different access levels you can make these conversations a lot better, a lot more uh, you know, informed. Uh, we could be having a conversation. And, and, and like, take it a step further, right? If you have a 1,000 people in a company, they're probably running about 5,000 meetings a day, roughly, okay? And call it 25,000 meetings a week, 100,000 meetings a month in a company of 1,000 people. There's no human that can sort of transcribe all that, and there's no team that can do it. If, if you automatically listening to all those conversations and the AI is picking up on things and saying, wait, this customer put this order on hold, which means that uh, we, you know the financial forecast is now going to be out and we're going to be short of about a million dollars that we need for payroll on this date. It can inform finance and the CEO about that using an email. You can have a conversation with me. We can talk about something. I'll, say, I'll get it to you by next Friday. And on Thursday, the AI will email you and say, hey, did you get that thing that Mark promised you? Like, yeah, it's due tomorrow. Like, this is why you need AI because across large enterprises, even small companies, the, the sheer volume of information that's being missed from, I mean, 
look at Zoom, Hangouts, whatever. These are dumb pipes. It's just a conversation. Yeah, so it's, like a, it's like a super assistant. Yeah, that- they're very, it's, and they're ephemeral. All these conversations are ephemeral right now. We have this conversation. Obviously, this is recorded. It'll be on YouTube. Yeah. But generally, Intel meetings and company aren't recorded, and it just disappears into the ether, and you can't remember who said what. And You know, if you, you can record it, but no one goes and looks it up again. Now, imagine this is intelligent agent just pulling all this information across the whole organization, and then you have custom, you know, uh, LLMs for companies. So it knows what the company does. It knows uh, when there's an issue. Someone, you know, calls out something in a, in a product meeting, it flows into the, the right manager in logistics or whatever. I have to admit, that does sound pretty awesome. So, yeah, I, I think... Uh, yeah, that answers your question as to why... why yeah, you yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great answer. So, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, because I, 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 uh, I can feel in my bones the times where I absolutely could have used that at Mahalo or, you know, any number of places I've been at where there's just like a giant number of meetings and lots of people and too much information to sort of inhale quickly. Uh, well, even, even at the end of the day, like, uh, you know, you can, you go through like eight meetings in a day. Fuck, what did I say to who? And at least at the end of the day, the AI will give you a summary. Like, Hey, you had these eight meetings. You had the action items and follow up for each meeting that you need to get done. And, uh, you know, and you can take action from there. You know, actually, you know what it was making me think of? So do you ever see the old, uh, the HBO series Rome? Have you seen that? No. Okay. So in that, so it's all about like Caesar times, right? Yeah. And uh, specifically Julius Caesar versus Pompey and all that. So in the series, Pom- uh, Caesar has a slave um, who is hyper intelligent and Caesar and, and, and the slave is, is always keeping track of everything. And he knows more about what's going on in Rome than Caesar does. And Caesar knows this, like he's completely cognizant of it, which is why he bought this guy. He loves him. And it sounds, it, it very much feels like uh, what you're describing, like what well, this guy I, did for Caesar in that series. I put a tweet out a while ago, I need to go find it, but I basically said in the tweet that I think that the, you know, the biggest risk, AI, the, the biggest risk to uh, companies or rather um, the, like, I, I'm, sure I'm going to phrase this in a, in a, in a politically correct way, but, but AI is going to disrupt middle management a lot more than anything else. Cause basically it's going to put a lot of these middlemen, you won't need to run middle managers at a company. Um, yeah. you will be like, you know, do, do your meeting and then it, it sort of flows up. Oh, the, the other thing is like when you go into meetings, so you're going to meeting late 15 minutes There's a summary. Like we have, we have this feature called catch up. We'll be building it at weight room and you get a summary of what happened in the meeting before you got there. So you can, before you jump in the room and go, okay, Mark said this, so Flocky said that this is what's going on. Okay, cool. I'm caught up. Let's go into the meeting. And so you can come in late for meetings. You can get summaries after meetings. You get minutes. Um, if a manager, how many times do you have to be in like three meetings at the same time because you have conflicts and you couldn't be in all three? Imagine just getting a quick summary of what's going on. Uh, and as a manager, getting an update. If you got a team of 100 people and they're all having meetings every day, you can get a summary of what the important things were instead of the meeting. There's a lot you can do when you have a, a virtual assistant listening to every single conversation in a company. Yeah, and there's also infinite uh, accountability. Like yeah. nobody can lie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, exactly, exactly. And by the way, this is kind of people go like, oh, that's kind of creepy. Well, no, really, companies monitor your emails already. They monitor right. your, your communications. Uh, most calls are recorded. Just, there's no one actually doing anything with it. No, I don't. I don't find it creepy. I mean, honestly, I don't. Uh, not, for I, business, not for business purposes. You shouldn't. Yeah, no. It, it feels it feels good. It feels like, um, it feels like perfect group memory. Yes. Which is incredibly valuable. So we, we all forget things. We all mishear things. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so other than your thing, what have you, I know you've been demoing a lot of AI products on twist, which means you're sampling a lot of things out of all the stuff that's out there, other than your stuff and chat GPT, 
What have you seen in the AI field that really just blows you away? I mean, or that you like? Uh, there are a lot of things I like, to be honest. Um, uh, I'm, I'm at the moment. I'm, I mean, look, I, I still ChatGPT is my favorite right now, so I still use Chat. I mean, playing around with Bard as well. Bard, okay. I don't think I don't think Bard is as good as ChatGPT. It kind of looked like that when they first launched it, and you dig into it, ChatGPT is better. I think, but Bard's like. I mean, Bard does a good job of learning on the fly. So I, I asked it to, uh, I was running a query. I said, rank the to- rank by uh, revenues, the top car manufacturers in the world. And it put a list together. I'm like, well, where's Tesla? Or electric vehicle manufacturers. Where's Tesla? She goes, oh, sorry. Uh, thanks for highlighting that. And it went, then, then it go, redid it and put Tesla in there. I'm like, <laughs> how did you miss Tesla? <laughs> yeah, that is pretty weird. It, it does do strange. It does. Yeah. It, it's sometimes strangely wrong. The hallucinations are kind of still weird. Yeah. So, and we also, uh, you know, people, there was one paper I wrote, which was kind of interesting or wrote read, um, which was pretty interesting recently where it was talking about how uh, these large language models, when they inhale uh, a corpus that is largely um, material produced by AI, uh, it can start hallucinating a lot more. So in other words, it needs true sentience exhaust as its training model. Um, and if it, if it starts inhaling more AI produced stuff, it gets dumber. And uh, so we may, and, and if the, as the web fills up with this AI generated stuff, it may tend to cause the um, AIs to hallucinate and, and become more deranged over time, which is pretty, that's like the copy of a copy of a copy thing, right? Yeah. It's like that. So, um, so the other thing that was kind of interesting, I, I have a friend of mine who, um, used to be Michael Crichton's editor. And uh, I'm not going to say his name, but he's really, he's deep in Silicon Valley. He talks with a lot of the people over at OpenAI. And he told me, I saw him at a party like a week and a half ago. And he told me that the the OpenAI guys um, or people, they saw signs of, of what they called super intelligence in the, in, the, in the AI itself. It was something that scared them. And it was, it was sort of startling. Um, have you, what, what do you know about this? Have you heard this, this, uh, at all in your world? I mean, this is the AGI stuff that Elon's all worried about, right? Yeah. He's worried about um, it too, clearly. I, I'm, I'm sure it's there. I, I don't have the technical chops to understand how it's going to work and what it's going to do, but, um, I'm sure that there's some super intelligence that's been built. I mean, the fact that they can beat, uh, you know, Magnus Carlsen and chess and, and go and all the others, like, the stuff's pretty intelligent. So I, I I don't know, man. Like this is where I think Chamath comes in and saying that we should do regulations now before it gets worse. Um, but there's just there's a fog of war. No one knows exactly what's going on in the whole world of AI across all these companies. And you've got quantum computers coming as well in the next you know, 10, 15, 20 years. This stuff gets scary over a longer period of time. In the short term, I don't think it really matters too much. So the way that these things work is they're effectively, you know, the, the large language models and also the image generators like Midjourney. There, this is my understanding of it, and it may be flawed, but I want to get it out there, and then you can react to it. So it, from what the way I understand it is, it's effectively a remix bot that commits a thousand million micro plagiarisms of the web at large. It's such a vast resolution that the human brain cannot see that it's actually. Uh, committing these microplagiarisms. So we tend to anthropomorphize uh, the output that's coming out of it. It feels like it's alive, right? 
um, or it feels like it's actually creative and it actually has a subconscious. Um, is that an accurate description or am I wrong? I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, I just don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I sit in the application layer of this technology. Like I can use it. I can implement it into tools and products and stuff. I actually don't, I have no idea how it works in the back end. I know it's like, it's got predictive text through tokens yeah. and whatever else, but I don't actually have a good grasp on how the, the model okay. works. Yeah. I've been yeah. reading up and trying to like understand it as much as I can under the hood. Yeah. That's sort of what I, it's amazing that it works as well as it does given what it's doing. So, so I've, I, it's, it's just, it's a fascinating subject. There is no question that it does work. I think that's the, the bottom line here. So however it's doing it, it actually is, you know, it does behave like an artificial intelligence quite well and quite shockingly, surprisingly well. Yeah. I mean, the artificial intelligence would have to develop some sort of purpose for itself. Uh, yeah. To be, I don't. To be dangerous. So it would have to say, Agreed. my purpose is to be the dominant species on this planet and wipe out human beings. And then if it did that, then it would probably figure out ways to like, what I think is scary is that this stuff can hack better than anyone. Like it, it, it can f look at code, find vulnerabilities, attack the like power stations, uh, whatever else. Like AI could probably hack into any government installation better than a human hacker at this point. Uh, just yeah, everybody... because able to scan all the code lines and knows exactly, you know, yeah, everybody talks about the 10x engineer, but they don't think about the 10x Lex Luthor. Yep. <laughs> Which is exactly what you're talking about. I mean, AI is the 1000x engineer right now. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, okay. One last thing before we move on to some news topics. Um, so on uh, on Twitter, I think it was on Twist recently, um, or it might have been just on Twitter. You mentioned that you thought, well, first of all, I want to say that you actually gave some really great alpha on Twitter back in the uh, early days of Solana and Filecoin, uh, which I did not listen to. <laughs> so I missed out on that big run up, but you were talking about it very early on and uh, you did correctly call it. And obviously you're a seed investor, um, but the, you were right, right? So um, recently you tweeted something to the effect of after looking into all the other chains and thinking about it, you still think Solana is the best shot we have at getting, you know, at, at, for a for a serious transaction-based chain, this despite all the downtime that Solana's had over the last year or so. Well, I mean, it's had a lot less downtime recently. I don't think we've had it any has. downtime in a while. So I, I think it's the best shot because um, Anatoly is optimizing for, um, um, this, you know, basically transactions at the speed of light. It's trying to get it like, and that that's really the barrier, right? If you can get transactions to move that quickly around the world and, and go to the validators and, you know, there's no real limit and, you know, trying to get to the point where, you, and I think it's possible where we can get to 50,000, you know, seven, and, 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 and like, I remember when Anatoly first pitched me, he, his whole thesis was he can get to about 750,000 TPS, which would be more than enough for the world <laughs> to use on as a blockchain. And the only way you could do it is the way they've done it. I think uh, there's a couple other, obviously a couple other ways with like, Aptos have taken, but Aptos and Sui have taken a very similar approach to, to Solana as well. So um, there are guys who claim they can do millions of TPS. That's fine. But then you go back into like censorship resistance and all these other things. I think um, at scale, Solana is probably on balance the best, best option we've got for, for layer one scaling. Uh, there's a lot of arguments for layer two, which I'm not a big fan of. But for layer one scaling, I still think Solana is probably the best option. 
Suvlaki, got any thoughts on any of this? Suvlaki. Sorry, I was just uh, no I was unmuting myself. Um, yeah, I think it's quite interesting. I mean, to be honest, like, I kind of always kept a, a distance from Solana because of Sam's involvement um, and just like the cloud that came with it. So I don't know enough about Solana itself. Um, but I do think it's quite interesting in terms of this battle that we're going to see with all ones take place because they all claim to have something that gives them the leg up versus the other on this kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's good for innovation because Solana is doing this that you're talking about, Vinny. Um, I think Phantom are talking about sig si single second finality and account abstraction. Ethereum is continuing to scale with its L2s. Now, I know that adds to, well, it's not the same as L1, but it's, they're all doing something different. And I personally, I don't care who wins, but there's going to be a winner. And so we're going to get to that future state where this technology gives us the things that we want it to give. And that's the most important thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, in the, in, the, in, the, in the longer term, I hope I, I pick up a bag of whoever wins <laughs> soon enough. But the important thing is that we do get a winner um, because I think the, the industry does need it. Yeah, I got to say, the one thing I really love about Solana, the Solana phone, I'm still sort of, I, I still like as an idea. And the reason why I like it is because you have a, you basically have an app store where um, the apps can always be approved. You don't have somebody like Apple or Google saying, no, we don't like this because it's crypto. You know, Solana controls the phone. So Solana says yes to apps that use Solana all the time, you know, provided they're legal and all that stuff. Um, so that, that, and that, and that felt like an actual consumer rail if they could make that work, uh, which could potentially be extremely powerful. So, do you, Vinny, what do you think about the Solana phone? Do you have one? I have one. Um, I'm not an Android user. It's pretty cool, though. I've used yeah. it, and it's, it works great. Um, there's a couple of UX things that need to be fixed because it's like when you try and prove a transaction, you have to approve it like four or five times. Because like, <laughs> yeah. back and forth. I'm like, oh, this is supposed to be faster. And it's not ready right now. So there's some stuff that work they've got to do on it. So I'm keeping an eye out and we're watching for the updates to see how they improve it. Um, but, you know, let's see how many people can get, move across from... If I was an Android user, I would totally move across and use the Solana phone. Cool. Okay. Well, let's move on to some news now. So uh, this week, Dai chopped their USDC backing in half. So they used to be at around 50% backed by USDC. Uh, they moved that down to 23%, uh, mostly as a reaction to, you know, when Silicon Valley Bank imploded, uh, USDC temporarily depegged because that's where their that's where their money was. I'm pretty sure it was Silicon Valley Bank. It might have been Signature. I might be wrong about that. It's one of those ones that exploded. But USDC briefly depegged, thereby exposing the risk that USDC has to a bank counterparty. So Dai decided, well, we don't want to be fully reliant on that on the banking world anymore, or USDC anymore. So they uh, they they basically uh, you know reduced their exposure, um, which I assume is a good thing. Um, now the rest of the rest of the makeup of their backing looks like this. So it looks like wrapped, staked ETH, GUSD, which is the Winklevoss stablecoin at Gemini. Uh, USDP, which I'm not sure what that is, 
And then there's a, you can't really read it here, but RWA 007 something. Suvlaki, you know about this world. What's what's going on here? What am I saying? Um, yeah, so uh, on your, or just when you're talking earlier about USDC, about Silicon Valley signature, actually, if you if you read the Q2, uh, not Q2, February report, they had accounts opened at Silicon Valley Signature and Silvergate. So they had the trifecta of, of bank accounts being closed. In terms of what DAI is doing, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I think they, they're transitioning out that that RWA stands for Real World Assets. So they wow. are they're starting to collateralize uh, the stable coin with things outside of the dollars, which is kind of interesting. I think the biggest, the biggest one that they have is uh, I think it is with a fund out in the Cayman, a fund out in the Cayman or BVI. Sorry, I don't. I actually think it's a fund out in the BVI uh, where they're holding treasury bills, 1.2 billion dollars of, of treasury bills, which is quite interesting because now you see a a crypto entity organization uh, going into the into the real world space. I guess we can, if you weigh the two of them, uh, for the past two, three months, we've been speaking about inflation, uh, the weakness that the dollar is showing, like what is it going to be worth? And it then raises the question, well, is it right to move from USDC, which is predominantly backed by cash and treasury bills, to go and get treasury bills on your own? Does it, does it, does it solve for that problem that you're trying to manage? But I do think it's a stepping stone to get more and other real world assets as backing. And that is very interesting. And that that is actually quite exciting because then it opens up this whole scope in terms of, you know, uh, over collateralized stablecoin, the possibilities that it brings and what can you actually use as collateral for for debt you want to take on. Um, so how does the Dow own treasury bills? Well, I Great question. I, <laughs> right? I don't I don't think it is they using an official fund manager, right? So I think what's happening is they've transferred a whole bunch of tokens to this fund manager. And this fund manager is doing something similar to what Circle or Tether do, where they have X amount on chain, and then they go and back that up with the dollars. And the fund is actually buying, paying, bringing in the dollars to go and get the T-bills, give the treasury the interest and take their fee in in fiat. The only other solution is if that fund is then liquidating all the tokens they gave them, converting it to real world fiat and going to buy the treasury bills, which sounds a bit bit more convoluted than it needs to be, Uh, but I think it will get to that space. So one of the two options, either they're running like a circle or tether model where you have on-chain assets being met with off-chain assets, but the off-chain assets are supplied by someone else uh, while the fund or the fund is actually liquidating on uh, liquidating crypto into fiat. Hmm. Benny, what do you, what do you make of, what do you think about all this? I mean, look, the moment you have counterparties, you have, um, you have, you know, counterparty risk. Um, and so like for me, na- native on-chain assets are the safest thing that you can hold. So you, you hold your Bitcoin, you hold your Ethereum, you have it in your ledger or whatever it is. You don't have any counterparties, right? And so uh, 
whenever there's a counterparty involved, it means that funds can be frozen, stolen, taken, hacked, whatever else. So I'm, I, I don't hold a lot. I mean, I don't hold a lot of money in, in stable coins. Uh, I prefer using, using a, a USD bank account where it's fair, you know, FDIC insured. Uh, and so theoretically, you know, <laughs> theoretically, right. For, for now, for now. Yeah. Um, but th that's kind of my take on it. It's like when you're taking on counterparty risk, you need to understand the risk you're taking and the benefit you're getting from it. So what would be the benefit of holding funds in a stable coin versus in a bank account? Um, maybe you can move money around faster. That would be one argument for weekend payments. Um, the, you know, the number of reasons why you would need to be holding millions of dollars is very low, except maybe trading, moving money from one exchange to another. Um, I, I mean, there are different use cases well, for you, it. You protect against bank failures, right? So Silicon Valley Bank got bailed yeah, out. Well, tell, look at happened with Circle. Well, look at happened Circle. I mean, that, that thing you know, it dropped 20% in a weekend because everyone was so fearful. They were fine in the end. That's not the point. The point is that there was a risk, right? Uh, there was a risk that those, those funds would, would, would be, you know, go, go to zero. Um, right. So you're yeah, saying that if I, hold, if I hold stable coins and the stable coins are backed by money in a bank, then I, I still have counterparty risk. It's not really yes. like I've escaped the bank world. Well, you, you don't have and you don't have a right to that account either. So it's not your account. Right. So it's actually worse. But just but just on this spe spe specific counterparty risk that goes on, I think what what uh, make it out does that is quite good is that anyone that wants to come on as a fund manager they actually do like have to do like a proper governance proposal and go through how much assets they're going to hold what's the debt ceiling they're going to take on um what are the risks and they talk about treasury risk counterparty risk they address all of these things in the proposal that goes through the governance now that is great the counterpoint is how educated is the community that is voting on this to actually understand that information that he's giving. And I think that that's something else, but there is some information giving out there on the counterparty risk that is that that that, that is taken on when you engage with these um, outside entities. Hmm. Well, so, okay. So we, we have counterparty risk with things like DAI and, and Tether, frankly, and USTC, right? Cause they all have bank accounts somewhere that are backing up their assets. Can a truly decentralized stablecoin, which is somehow native to the web, something like Terra Luna, but not Terra Luna, because obviously that design was flawed, um, something like Bean, something like MIM, you know, Abracadabra, uh, or Curve USD, uh, can any of those, and I know the Byte Masons are working on one also, can a truly internet native decentralized stablecoin ever work? Vinny, what do you think? Yeah, I, you know, there are a couple of things out there which are interesting. Um, there's one on Solana. What is it called? Um, uh, I'm going to find it. Uh, there are a number of guys working. I think it's possible. There's a, um, there's a the trilemma they're trying to solve in stablecoins. Um, it was, let's see. Uh, I'm to find this coin. Yeah, um, I U feel. Yeah, it was U U UXP. Uh, UXP, UXD, that sort of thing. So uh, the th that one looks very interesting. Um, the UXD protocol, it, it's it, basically what they do is it's a delta neutral uh, hedged stable coin. So they're basically using Solana and um, you know the speed of Solana and the ability to hedge. Um, you know, to, to effectively, you're effectively hedging the the the. the um, 
the coin in the market natively. So it's all running through DEXs and whatever else. That probably works because it's decentralized in the way it is. It's stable uh, because you know it, it's 100% backed. So you can always redeem one USD for one USD. And it's actually pretty, it's pretty capital efficient. Um, so you don't need to over collateralize. The over collateralization is what causes a lot of the issues. Hmm. So it sounds like that design of that coin is sort of like Luna and Terra. No, no Luna and Terra are a little different. Though. I don't think it's a terrible, I, I think there were some good ideas in that Terra Luna thing. I don't think it was yeah. all bad. So, yeah. but, but go ahead. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, it's, um, I, I, I just get I get the sense that they, like there is a solution out there. I just don't know what it is, and that's what I feel like too. Yeah, yeah. They, but like UXD looks like a good option. Yeah, I feel like there is a design that works. We just we haven't cracked it yet, but you know, it's like finding the the right filament that makes the light. Like we know the light bulb can work, but we just don't know. We haven't figured out that tungsten is the thing that we need yet. But we, mm -hmm. th you know, on paper we know there's a way to do it. That's what my gut says too. Is there is a, there, there's probably more than one design that works. But we haven't we haven't cracked it yet. So, what do what do you think, Shivlaki? Yeah, I I think sometimes with these with um, DeFi native stablecoins, uh, we're trying to overcomplicate things. Um, and I saw this interesting debate on on Twitter not too long ago about um, CRV USD, like the new stablecoin mechanic, the the way it works, the way it operates. It's it's something different. It's something interesting, and it if it works and if it can scale time will tell but the big point was they started that off using state frax eth as collateral mm -hmm. and not native eth not native eth and you know if you think about what it takes to launch a stable coin right you, people aren't just going to come and meant it like they need people want healed we live in uh, since the introduction of the sushi swaps mastership it's a yield people want to get maximum return for their for their um for their capital and they're willing to go quite far on the risk curve to get it curve is probably the one and that that discussion was about how curve is probably the one protocol across the whole of DeFi that can successfully launch a token a, a stable coin that is not um in that is backed by like true eth or true bitcoin without significant amount of incentives and well right now we won't know because they, they decided to go another way but you know so they have an interesting concept uh liquidity has an interesting concept in this in their stable coin design uh, and yeah, I think I think it will be uh, ultimately a winner. Uh, there will ultimately be a winner, but it might be a bit more simple than how some things try to how some things are overcomplicated. If we look at what brought UST down, right? They they stopped keeping it simple. They tried to expand. They made themselves weak, and they, they and they got and they got hammered. Um, and that's a story for a lot for loads of stable coins. Like we don't have to be like one of the things why like outside of the other things happening in the Danny bubble, right? Mim was getting a lot of traction, but then they started getting fancy with the collateral type, like rap memo from Wonderland and some they weird made, yeah, shit. They, they, they made an Ouroboros that ate itself. They backed themselves with themselves, which is yeah. that you should never do that. Where, never mind counterparty risk. You should never be your own counterparty. 
Exactly. And, but they started with something like the three-curve pool as the base, and that was actually very attractive. Um, yeah. All USD uh, from Alchemix is doing, doing interesting with their take on the self-repaying loans. I, th I think there's, there are loads of – it's kind of like what I said earlier about the L1s. There are many, many different variations of decentralized stable coins. Over time, one of them will win. And I hope they keep pushing themselves so that we can all benefit from the winner because I, I was speaking offline earlier that, you know, I did the video comp with a direct comparison between Tether and Circle in terms of those two stable coins. That video actually released five minutes before the show went live, um, if anyone wants to watch it. But in that video, I say in the long term, we are going to need a very, very strong decentralized stablecoin and multiple versions of it because we know if we look at what the state is doing and what um, other legislation is doing, if we look at FedNow, FedCoin, the um, Mika, what it's doing in terms of stablecoin regulation, we know that governments are going to start issuing stablecoins. Yeah, we're going to start. We're going to talk about Mika next, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So the ev or Joey in my basement, or the everyday person on the street, the normies out there, right? Who do you think they're going to go for? Are they going to go for a government-backed stablecoin, Tether, USDC, or a decentralized stablecoin? They're most likely going to default to a government stablecoin, unless there's a very strong decentralized option. And hopefully, we have a winner. We'll find. We'll get a winner. Yeah. Well. Okay. So let's move on. We got ten minutes left here. So let's move on to Mika. So recently, the EU passed Mika, which is a new crypto regulatory framework, uh, and it's got a, a number of provisions. So disclosure requirements, issuers of crypto assets will be required to provide certain disclosures to investors. Supervision, crypto asset service providers will be subject to supervision by national authorities. Stable coins, stable coins will be subject to specific requirements, such as having a reserve of assets that is at least 100% backed by the stablecoin, which would seem to preclude the possibility of a decentralized stablecoin, but we'll leave that on the table for now. Uh, there's money laundering provisions. Mika will acquire crypto asset service providers to comply with AMM and AML rules. Um, but on the whole, I read, I, read through, I read through sort of the coverage of this. On the whole, my impression was this is all reasonable stuff, more or less. I'm not sure I agree with the strict interpretation of what a stable coin should be, but it's not, you know, it's, it's mostly pro crypto and I think mostly reasonable. Um, Vinny, did you see this? And what did you think of this? I didn't, I, like I said, I was, I was, okay. on vaca I, I was on vacation the past two weeks. No, all right. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. No I, worries. I cleaned out as much as I could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Suvlaki, what do you think of Mika? I think it's a step in the right direction in terms of it's not, it's not over-regulation, it's, it's guidelines that helps the, it, it's a framework that will allow the industry street to grow while offering protection. Now, in terms of your, the question that you had in terms of it's, it's against like issuing of stable coins, it's because the, the stable coins actually fall under possibly two of the three categories. So they de define, well, it's a utility or other, which it's neither of those, but you have asset reference token or electronic money tokens. Now, a stable coin can fall under one of those two. 
An e-money token is when the stablecoin is backed one for one with a dollar in a bank account. So think of USDC, think of Tether. A asset reference token is one that is pegged to something but backed by a something else, right? So think of any decentralized stablecoin. They are not backed by cash in a bank. They are backed by on-chain collateral, something else that gives it its value, right? So, and the regulation around e-money and the regulation around, behind an asset reference token are not the same. Your requirements are not the same. And I think what is quite what is what is quite interesting in terms of the dynamic and how things are evolving, Circle is actually on the forefront in terms of pushing like education around Mika and getting the word out there. And they've actually applied for a license to operate as an e-money provider in the EU. And Tether has not. And I wonder if Tether has not because, you know, it's about a month ago, we're all going on this, you know, song and dance that Tether has changed its backing, they have precious metals and Bitcoin, right? If they increase the precious metals and Bitcoin component of their backing, they start moving out of being an e-money into an asset reference token. And based on everything else that Tether has done, like in terms of transparent, like the, the, they hide shit, right? <laughs> they are not completely open. I wouldn't be surprised if in the long term, they're trying to position themselves to be a asset reference token and not an e-money token. So they, they are subject to risk regulation. Either is fine, either offers us as users protection, but e-money requires more. So is Tether dirty? No, Tether might not be dirty. Tether likes just to do the bare minimum. Okay. Vinny, what do you think of Tether? I mean, I think that Tether at one point was insolvent. Um, they're not insolvent anymore because of the Bitcoin price pump. So they, they, they're in trouble and they pumped the price. They printed Tethers and they managed to, I, I think they learned their lesson. I think they're, uh, they're very, they're very, it's, it's definitely one-to-one -one backed at this point. Where those funds are sitting is the question. Like, we don't know. But I mean, it's at an all-time high right now, like $90 billion or something. Yeah, it's crazy. I, that, that's my impression as well. Is I think there's, I think they're completely solvent now. And but they, but they, at one point they weren't. So I agree with that as well. I suspect, I suspect that very strongly also. So, mm. um, hmm. Okay. Well, I think, I mean, if you compare what's going on in Europe with Mika and the sort of reasonable vibe that we're getting from the EU uh, to, um, you know, uh, Elizabeth Warren last week saying we have to stop Bitcoin because it's used for fentanyl. And it, it feels to me, I mean, it just uh, like Warren and a few of these people feel like J. Jonah Jameson, right? Like every week there's a new reason to hate Spider-Man, right? Like you should not like Spider-Man or Bitcoin, right? You know, before it was like it uses too much energy and nobody cared. And it turned out actually it didn't use too much energy. It's pretty green. And then so that kind of went away. And then, then it was, uh, oh, yeah, it's used for money laundering. And then we found out that actual cash is used far more often for money laundering than, than crypto. And it's actually easier to track things on chain. So criminals get caught more often because it's on chain. Right. So, so now this, so the fentanyl, like that, like this just sounds absolutely crazy. Right. So mm -hmm. Vinny, I know, did you, did you hear this thing with Elizabeth Warren? Dude, I like, honestly, no. <laughs> I just tune out. I, I, I can't, I can't listen to this anymore. 
(laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. I don't blame you, but you know, it's my job to pay attention. So I have to, I know, I know. I'm just saying, you know, this is hard. (laughs) It's hard to listen to this. I just, I, I, I was, it was just, I mean, just watching Mika, it was just such a breath of fresh air. I was just like reading through it, expecting to be horrified by something. And, mm. and I came out, I was like, no, that's actually completely. Well, you, what's kind of crazy is how the Democrats and, and I'm registered as an independent and I, I, I so I, I don't have. Okay. No more Sherman. We're done with Sherman. Yeah, I don't have a political sort of bone to pick here, but they were taking so much money from Sam. And all of a sudden, the moment they realized they were taking money from a scammer, now they're anti-crypto. It's kind of like, guys, seriously? Yeah, exactly. Run away! Run away! It's a little little hypocritical if you ask me. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I I don't think Warren ever took money from Sam. I think she's always she's always hated this shit for whatever reason. Yeah, I I don't. It's it's really weird because she's in you know she's Massachusetts and Fidelity's in Massachusetts and Fidelity is largely pro crypto and that's like. I used to live in Boston, and if you've lived in Boston, you know Fidelity just permeates everything. It's all over the place. Yeah. It's like it, they've just got a, it's a giant part of Massachusetts DNA. So it's sort of it's a little bit perplexing that she's so anti-crypto when Fidelity is right there in front of her. They should be friends. So, well, okay, well that's about all the time we have, uh, Vinny. What should I have asked you that I didn't ask you, or what do you want to plug? Um, well, I don't want to plug anything, uh, but I, I'll plug Explorers. So we, we're doing the Mint next week. It's on Solana. Um, it's going to be like the maximum price is like three souls. It's pretty cheap. It's a high quality NFT drop. Uh, go to explorers.digital. Uh, check it out. It's got a game with it as well. And it's something we've been working on for nearly two years now. So I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, it's a high quality NFT project. It's not a cash grab. There's no VCs involved. It's me and my, my co-founders funding it. And it's a bit of a passion project because we're gamers. We're building a game that we want to play and we think it's pretty cool and we want to share with the world. Oh, super cool. I did not know you were a gamer. That's new information. Super cool. Uh, I'm, a big, I'm a big gamer. For, Fortnite. Ah. <laughs> ah, okay. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Suvlaki, cool. any, uh, any last words before we uh, push on? No. Thank you for having me on the show. Avini, it was wonderful chatting to you. Thank you so much. It was great to learn and hear your stories. All right, everybody. Thanks, guys. Vinny, thank you once again. Suvlaki, thank you. My name is Mark Jeffrey. This has been Across the Chains. We'll see you next time.